Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, welcome back to Kindled Podcast. This is Haley and you're listening to episode 129. Today's episode is sponsored by my business, H. Williams Creative. My interview today is on justice and I'm talking with Samuel Say. Before I get to that interview, I want to tell you about our Kindled Patreon community. This is brand new for me and I'm so excited about what we're doing here. I shared this on Instagram um, this weekend, but I do want to let you know that there is about a 10-minute chunk of Samuel and I's conversation that is going to be airing this Friday in the Firestarters episode, and it is a conversation around Black Lives Matter. So how the Firestarters episodes work is every single Friday, I am releasing additional exclusive episodes that will be heard only by Patreon subscribers. They are shorter than these regular one-hour episodes. They will be around 15 to 20 minutes. This is going to be an amazing place to get more from Kindled if you are already loving this podcast. And I will say, especially if you like the Christianity and culture episodes, because that's basically what Firestarters episodes will always be about. That's what I personally am interested and passionate in talking about. And so that's what you're going to hear there. You can sign up for $10 a month at patreon.com slash Kindled podcast, and I will see you inside. So today on Kindled, I'm chatting with Samuel Say. Samuel, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners for anyone that has not heard of you yet. Yeah, uh, my name is Samuel Say, um, or my nickname, I suppose, being Slow to Write. Mm -hmm. Um, I am a blogger at slowtowrite.com. I blog about social, political, cultural, and theological issues. and I am also a pro-life advocate at the, it's always a mouthful, so I have to pause before I say it all the time, but it's mm-hmm. CCBR, which is short for the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. I've been there for uh, over a year now, um, just trying to save babies in Canada. So uh, wow. that's, uh, that's who I am. That's really cool. Um, how did you get involved in that work? Hmm. Um, <laughs> so essentially, um, Several years ago, I was. This was maybe when I was about eighteen years old. I was not a Christian at the time, mm-hmm. and um, one of my dear friends um, called me, and she said, "Sam, what would you say to a girl considering an abortion?" Mm-hmm. And um, her and I, you know, we were, we loved asking each other random rhetorical questions, and I thought that was one of those times. Mm-hmm. So when she asked me that question, I said, "I don't know." Um, and then I learned a few years, at, well, I learned a year after that, that she actually got an abortion days after she asked me that question. Mm. It was a cry for help, and I, I had no idea. Now, I didn't know much about abortion anyway, so I don't know what I could have said, but I, I wish I could have said something. I wish I knew. Mm. Um, 
so that that's something that's been affecting me for a long time um yeah. and, and um finally in 2018 two years ago one of my friends who's involved in the pro-life uh, movement he told me about an opportunity to join an internship with ccbr and i joined the internship hoping to learn something to do something that would rectify my inability to save my friend's child mm-hmm. or to help save my friend's child i did that internship and uh before the internship i um they i made a goal and the goal was that i wanted to help because one of the things we do at ccbr is we go to schools public areas anywhere we can and we just speak to strangers uh, anybody who's willing to speak to us about abortion and we try to change their minds in abortion mm-hmm. change perspectives on it and i made a goal that i wanted to help change 30 people's minds in abortion and by the grace of god i ended up being able to change 73 minds in abortion i know the exact wow. number I would count it all because it meant so much to me knowing that I wasn't able to do that to my friend years before. Mm -hmm. Um, And then um, they thought that I was good at, you know, um, the pro-life advocacy. So they asked me to join them last year. And um, it's been a, it's been a blast. It's been, Mm. yeah, being able to know that I'm playing a role in um, changing people's minds in abortion and saving minds, uh, saving babies is Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, very dear to me. So that's how yeah. I got. Wow. That is, that is a powerful testimony there right there. That's, that's incredible. Um, I'm so thankful that you took action to do that. I mean, and that is not easy work. I mean that you are like, you know, you are on the ground, boots on the ground, um, talking with those people that's emotionally, I mean, there's a lot of emotional investment there to even just learning people's stories, just hearing their situations. I know there's a lot of tough situations people are in when they are at that kind of a decision point. So I can imagine that that is like, that is a pretty taxing um, place to be, you know, I mean, for, for you, even as an advocate. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, I've chosen two of the most, the hot button issues, I suppose, in our culture. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And, uh, I get myself in trouble a lot. A lot. I mean, uh-huh. yeah, people, I always say that Canada, we are known as a very nice country. And uh, I suppose we are, except for abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, the number of, uh, the, the passion that people have for, for, you know, for abortion, mm-hmm. the passion and support for abortion in this country is, um, is, is devastating. It's sad. Um, yeah. Canada, we are one of only three nations without like a single law um, on abortion. So wow. abortion is legal throughout the entire nine months of pregnancy here in abortion. Mm-hmm. I know in the States, there are, you know, some very leftist states that have mm-hmm. recently, like New York, have recently passed, right. um, you know, I guess a bill that makes abortion legal throughout pregnancy. But here in Canada, it's legal throughout um, in every nation. The only mm-hmm. the other nations are China and, and, and uh, North Korea. So that's, that's the league that, you know, uh, that Canada is in when it comes to abortion. So um, anyway, yeah, um, we get a lot of opposition here. Um, mm-hmm. Trudeau, our prime minister, has mentioned this uh, a few times, um, you know, not in support, I can tell you that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, anyway. Wow, yeah, you're, well, you're right. You're right about that. You do find your way to the... Uh, hot button issues. And, uh, you know, you and I are similar in that way. We don't shy away from these, these topics that 
um, are surrounded by a lot of, um, a lot of passion on both sides, a lot of zeal, you know? Um, and I, I think, you know, I think that's a hard, it's a hard line to walk. Um, you know, even just knowing how do I, how am I consumed with zeal with this in a way that glorifies God, uh, at versus, you know, just tr- seeks to elevate my own, my own opinion or myself. And, and that's yeah. something that, you know, is, is challenging, I think, but, um, but worth it, you know, it's worth the, the cost of even, um, continually like submitting yourself to God in that and going, you know, like, you know, you are like, this is about your glory. It's about your kingdom. It's not about me being right. It's not about me, you know, making myself right, even through my actions of doing good works or changing laws or whatever. It's truly, it truly has to come from a place of, you know, spirit motivation. I think if it's going to last, because it is just really challenging to be on the front lines of these battles in the type of culture that we are in globally today. I mean, it's just, it's tough. I mean, I I know that you get a lot of flack for your position on abortion, for your position on um, social justice issues and the way that you speak to those, the truth that you speak into that space. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that, you know, you're, we're actually going to be talking about justice today in this conversation and, and uh, you're on really the two biggest justice issues, I think, in our, in our culture today, in our day and age. I mean, abortion and then what we hear from the world is, as you know, the name they give it is social justice. Yeah. And yeah. ironically, I mean, I would say abortion is the biggest social justice issue of our day and age, even though I would quibble with the term social justice. I would say it's the biggest justice issue yeah. Yeah. where there's the greatest amount of injustice happening. And yet it's not the issue at the forefront of the, the, the entire area of study of social justice and the, the things that we hear our, our media, our news media and our, our celebrities talking about, you know, that's not what's being discussed ever. Nobody wants to talk about abortion, you know? Exactly. I'm glad you mentioned this because the reason, the, the reason why I'm so committed to addressing these issues is because I know that many other people are unwilling to do so. Mm. I don't, I'm sure like you, you know, sometimes it's, it, it can be very challenging. It can be discouraging, but I know that if we care about justice as we should as Christians, mm-hmm. um, we need to speak up, you know, I don't have the skill to do other things, but, but by the grace of God, maybe you have a skill to be addressing these issues. So mm-hmm. I think, to serve God and honor God by doing so. And then you mentioned something I think is very important too. I tell people that, look, we live in a, right now, so many people are talking about how young people today or just people in general today are so passionate about justice. And that's why they're out there in the streets protesting and everything else. And I'm like, not really. It's not about justice because the same, those same people are just as passionate, if not more passionate, about abortion or as in being pro-abortion. Yeah. So it's really about their passion for injustice that's fueling and, uh, and motivating them to be passionate about Black Lives Matter and all these other social justice movements. It's because the whole idea social justice is injustice that's the passion it's not a passion for justice because if that were the case mm-hmm. they would then be in instead protesting against abortion instead of many of them protesting 
against people like myself who are trying to save babies. Right. So this, I, it, it really does concern me when we think we are now living in a progressively more just society or people are progressively becoming more just. Yeah. I don't think so. Uh, we are deceiving mm-hmm. ourselves into thinking that we're actually becoming, uh, at least in some circles, uh, in, in our culture, becoming more, uh, um, more, I guess, just. Because unfortunately, that's not the case at all. If that were the case, we would be fighting against abortion. Wow. That's so powerful what you said there, that social justice is injustice. And I think that is where so many Christians get tripped up and, and a little confused. And it's like somebody put a blind, puts a, it feels as though for a lot of believers, I think a lot of, or, you know, I should say self-proclaimed proclaimed Christians would say, you know, maybe it's sort of like they're getting a blindfold put on and spun around in a circle. And then they're being asked, which one is justice? And they're choosing wrong because the world is saying, this is justice. Fight for this, fight for this, care about this, wave this flag, you know, raise this banner. This is, this is what justice is while in the same breath, you know, claiming that the murder and the slaughter of innocent unborn children is also justice because that's your right, your body, your choice. And it is your right to get to decide and determine whether or not that individual um, gets to ever experience life, gets to ever take a breath. And, um, and it's, you know, the, the biblical framework for justice absolutely does not afford us any space to accept that as truth, but Christians are, uh, I don't know. I mean, and again, self-proclaimed Christians are maybe, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Is it just that people don't know their Bibles? Like what, how are people missing this? How are people kind of buying the, how is it being sold so like wholesale to the church, to, um, to many churches that I know are jumping on board with this social, social justice movement and adopting it as their own. They're flying that flag higher than the gospel. They are, I mean, we just left a church over this, over, over this issue, becoming um, social justice, taking the stage really in a sense, even, even becoming primary to the gospel. And so like, what are your thoughts on why, why it's being so, why it's so easy? Um, it's, it feels like it has just been such an easy sell to so many Christians. Um, there are, I think so many answers to that. I'm going to try to mm-hmm. uh, briefly address them all. Um, every issue, this is a theological issue here, every theological issue, every incorrect theological view has to do with a rejection of the authority of the scriptures. Mm -hmm. A lot of us, instead of going to the scriptures over how to understand justice, we're saying, no, we're going to go to the culture instead. Mm -hmm. So we are choosing to abandon biblical theology to adopt worldly philosophies because we don't want to submit under the 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 authority of the scriptures because that's not popular and a lot of that is a is a pride issue because we love ourselves more than we love god so we want to be loved by the world and there is a fear of the world so we are being ashamed of the gospel we are embarrassed by what the bible says uh, because we think that if we say these things, we know it will make us unpopular. So we rather say what the culture or believe what the culture wants us to believe, thinking 
that will actually help us. And in a weird way, we think that will make us more, by winning their approval, we think then we can share the gospel with them. But then you've already lost the gospel once you start doing that already. And they will never love the gospel just because you are leaving the gospel to embrace their thinking. That's just not how it works. Right. But with all that being said, too, unfortunately, I've, I've said this a few times, that I think parents and pastors have failed to address these issues for a long time. We've, um, we've been doing an overcorrect um, of the fundamentalist when uh, throughout the 80s and 90s, they would sometimes stray from, um, from the whole counsel of God or to, uh, they would just put, just be, they would put too much of an emphasis on, on, on um, politics. And I think many of us have thought that, okay, and rightly so that we can't be like them, but instead of giving a, a more helpful biblical alternative, we've instead become like them just in a different way where now instead we're just not teaching it at all. So then a lot of young people, parents, a lot of young people are not being taught by their parents or pastors. Mm-hmm. So then they go to high school, especially colleges, and they now for the first time being told how to think about justice, not just what to vote for or how to vote, but now how to, th- how to think through these issues from the, from, from the profs and on biblical uh, worldly understanding of justice. So then that's the only thing they know now. And that's why so many young Christians or so many Christians in general have been embracing these ideas because the first people to teach them about justice wasn't their parents or their, or their pastors. It was their professors. So, um, and naturally the first person to teach you something is going to have the bigger impression on you. And I think what's happening, um, you know, so, so yeah. Oh, another thing. And, and I know this with myself in that I think one of the things I've noticed now, you know, I'm a young uh, person, so um, I'm, I don't know everything. Um, mm-hmm. I have a lot to learn, but I've been noticing a trend over the last 10 years, which is that we Christians, especially we young Christians have really started to use the idea of Christian Liberty to watch and listen to things that are very worldly. Yeah. We've been, you know, we love Game of Thrones. We love vile music. In the mm-hmm. past, the church used to address these things. I've noticed that over the last 10 years, that's died out. No one's yeah. talking about, what are you listening to? What are you reading? What are you watching? Right. Is it honoring God? And the problem is, when you've already embraced a sinful idea of entertainment, well, then you're going to be entertained in a way that will affect how you think, period. Mm-hmm. So if I'm watching television that is evil and that is then transforming my mind mm-hmm. and I'm not renewing my mind through the scriptures, then they're already teaching me how, how to also think about my world. Right. So I'm going to embrace their ideas and I think that's what's happening. If you are not concerned about Game of Thrones or some of the other shows that are, are you know, evil, then you're going to have a warped view about the world. And uh, so I think that's also one of the issues as well uh, that's happening here in, you know, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's very true. It's almost like, it's almost like, I don't know. I was raised in a way that was probably 
you know, very far on the other extreme where like I wasn't allowed to watch Little Mermaid because she had a bad attitude and she was rebellious. And so, you know, I like very sheltered in that way. Um, but then, you know, you can swing to the complete opposite end of the pendulum. The, or the, if the pendulum swings too far to the other end of, you know, well now, you know, um, as Christians, we, like you said, we have freedom, there's liberty, just use discernment, never mind what discernment means or what are our values here? What are we like, what, what's worth it? Like, should we be entertained by things that Jesus died for? Um, you know, those types of things. If you, if you abandon all those questions, just kind of say like slap the label of Christian liberty or Christian freedom on whatever you want to watch, read, or, you know, consume in terms of media. And there's so much, um, that's not what that is meant for (laughs) you know that's not the idea that's not what we see laid out in scripture at all in terms of what christian liberty um or these the freedom issues are referring to you know so so yeah that's a great point um before we go any further i think it would be helpful if you could kind of give us a biblical definition of justice since we're talking about justice and um comparing and contrasting, you know, a a biblical Christian worldview of justice to a secular one. Can you tell us what the Bible says about justice? Mm -hmm. So the, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, is the text that says you shall not pervert justice. Mm -hmm. You shall not be partial to the rich or the great or the poor or the small. That is incredibly revolutionary because throughout history, people have, justice has always been performed as favoring one person or the other. I'm from um, Ghana where corruption is rampant, rampant throughout the entire nation. And if you're wealthy, you're set. You can buy you can buy so many, you know, liberties and, you know, freedoms at the expense of the poor people. However, here right now in our culture, in the Western culture, Canada and America, we are increasingly now embracing a different kind of favoritism where now we are favoring the poor over the rich. That's naturally through um, you know, what some try to call democratic socialism, but really just socialism, uh, or really just as an ideology, critical theory, mm-hmm. or, or um, social justice. The Bible condemns and rejects all of that. It says you shall not be partial to anyone. You shall not favor one person over the other. You have to perform justice in a very objective manner and to the individual. We live in a society today where we try to perform justice based on someone's identity or group, not the individual. So facts don't matter. It's all about, well, what's your upbringing? Where are you from? What social group are you, are you from? And through that, that's when then you can then receive an injustice or justice for you. So for example, we we're talking about abortion earlier. We talk about privilege a lot in our society. And, and with abortion or feminism, the idea is women should have the freedom 
to or the or should have justice and they should be able to get abortion because of the patriarchy or because of the idea of male privilege mm -hmm. the irony of it all though is it gives women not justice but extreme privilege in that you now have not the right but the privilege to kill another person mm -hmm. yeah which is not justice Right. In that sense, you're being partial, as in our our culture, you're being you're being partial over the great, which is the older woman, mm -hmm. over or at the expense of the small, which is literally the small preborn baby. Mm -hmm. So, you have a system that is committing an injustice, but then thinks it's justice. The, again, it's ironic that we think that we have, you know, that, you know, um, that being pro-abortion or feminism is really against privilege as a whole. But no, really, it's giving or ascribing privilege to one person at the expense of the other. Right. So biblical justice is contrary to social justice or any worldly uh, oppressive form of justice in that it is it is really about ascribing or, or, or affirming the rights of all individuals, no matter who they are. And it is objective, facts-based, evidence-based, where the Bible talks about how no one can be guilty of something without um, strong evidence or eyewitnesses. Mm -hmm. Where now, in fact, it becomes about just what's your social standing or your intersectional group. Uh, that's so helpful how you were just explaining that, yeah, we, and we hear that all the time. We hear women say, well, what about, what about the life of the mother? You know, nobody cares about the life of the mother, but it's like, but you don't actually have to say, you don't have to elevate one life over another. They actually both will be valued and protected if the baby, if that unborn child is allowed to live, is allowed to be born, there's other options, there's adoption, and, and there's, you know, and actually, I know people who have had abortions, abortion is not the answer ever, because it is not actually, I mean, women who have gone through abortions, know it is, it only adds more pain. Yeah. Two wrongs don't make a right. Like, people live with that there are many people who have had abortions who regret them, who wish they hadn't, who wish they had just carried the pregnancy to term. I mean, I've heard these stories from women firsthand that are just, I mean, 20, 30, 40 years later, still, I mean, agonizing over this choice that they made um, at, the, at a time where they felt desperate. And we, we have to say that like most people who are choosing abortion do not, they're not choosing it like they're choosing an ice cream flavor. You know, it's not like, I think I'll get an abortion today. Like they really think there is no other option. I am in a desperate situation. I have no other choices. And because of the way the world speaks about this, they actually probably believe there really are no other choices. They don't even know what the other choices are because the only choice they've been taught is the choice to, you know, have ownership over your body and expel anything that you don't want to be there, including this unborn child. When really there are other choices, there's lots of pregnancy centers and crisis pregnancy centers that come alongside these women. They offer parenting classes, resources, they'll throw them showers. There's, I mean, so much support women can get today because they're, because there are really good people 
doing stuff like this, but they have not been taught about it. They don't know. A lot of them are just, they, they, and they're even, you know, I, I know of people and I've talked with people who were, were really fear, fear mongered into an abortion, even like, Hey, you don't want this to ruin your life. You don't want this to ruin college for you. You don't, you want to be successful painting this picture. That's a false, um, a false dichotomy that they couldn't have all of that if they got, if they had the baby, which is not true. It's just, it's patently untrue. And yet it's been sold as, as fact. And so, and, and, you know, I I think that we are really kind of in an uphill battle to even educate that like, Hey, there are resources and there's options. You're not alone. Someone could go through this with you. And there's, there's so many great people doing that work, but I just think that might be one of the pieces here is that like, there's a, a large amount of people that need to be um, educated in regards to what their options truly are, because this whole idea of being pro-choice, it's not pro-choice. It's just pro-abortion. There's, you haven't t- given them a choice. Giving someone a choice is actually saying, hey, you have choices. Here's all the choices before you. And let me really show you what that looks like. And, and you know, you, you mentioned earlier when people say, well, what about the mom uh, and the difficult life or difficult pregnancy they would have mm-hmm. to if they don't get an abortion? I'm very sympathetic to that. I don't want, you know, uh, naturally, we don't want someone to have a difficult time for any mm-hmm. reason. Right. But let's just put that idea into perspective. As I said, I'm from Ghana. And we all forget that slavery is still happening in Africa, mm-hmm. is especially happening in Ghana still. Mm-hmm. Some of the, one of the some of the most heartbreaking stories I hear or I read about are many Ghanaians. These are mostly fishermen who are so poor. They think unless they own child slaves who help their business flourish or to survive, they cannot eat. These are fishermen who are very poor, mm-hmm. and they will abuse children. Mm-hmm. And they will use children and they will again enslave children, making five year olds go out there in the middle of the night to fish. Many of them drown and they don't get justice. Are we going to say, because these fishermen are so poor in Ghana, that they should have the right then to harm and abuse the rights of another child? We would say, no, it was the same idea, the mm-hmm. same idea. We know that many women feel that they have no alternative, mm-hmm. but they do. It's a more difficult alternative. Well, May, yeah. Ar- right, arguably, you, you could argue that point. Yes, right. but in terms of their perspective at the yeah. time, mm-hmm. they seem that way. Right. But justice isn't supposed to be easy. Mm-hmm. It's just supposed to be right. Yes. It's about loving your neighbor. I imagine the slave owners. So we right now can talk easily about why didn't people end slavery? Why did the South in America keep slavery for as long as they did? Why did they have to fight over it for as long as they did? Well, because it ruined people's lives. Mm-hmm. People, people's income, their, their, their standing, everything was mm-hmm. based, many of them was based on slavery. That is why injustice is always personal. It's not an abstract idea. It affects people's lives. Yeah. So 
this part of the concern, we don't think we don't think about these things that injustice, whether it's abortion, slavery, or anything else, it's always hard for people to um, to to let go of. It's hard. Many many of us grasp and and cling to uh, injustice because otherwise it will make their lives difficult in one way. But we must stand against it in every fashion because it's the right thing to do. And in the long term, although it might feel hard at the time, it's always better for the individual who is committing that injustice. Yes. Hey guys, I have to interrupt this episode real quick to let you know who is bringing this episode to you today. And that is me. Not just me as the host, but my business, H. Williams Creative. This podcast is my passion, but did you know I'm also a web and graphic designer? I specialize in helping female entrepreneurs make their brand and website show up as awesome online as they are in person. Whether you need a new logo, graphic design pieces, some collateral, a business card, or an entirely new website, I can help. You can reach out directly by emailing me at Haley at hwilliamscreative.com, H-A-L-E-Y at hwilliamscreative.com, or you can check out my work at my website, hwilliamscreative.com. And if you mention Kindled Podcast, you'll get 10% off any branding package, website quote, or any other proposal that I provide you with. Can't wait to connect. Now back to this episode. Yeah, that's so, so key that you said it. It justice isn't supposed to be easy. It's just supposed to be right, you know? And that's so something our culture is completely missed. I mean, it's just, it's like that concept that's foreign to them. It's completely foreign. Um, what do you, what would you say to this? Cause this is another thing that, that those who are pro-life get a lot. Well, you're not pro-life. You're just pro-birth. You just want people to be born but once they're born, you don't care about them because if you did, you'd be fighting, you know, um, you'd be fighting homelessness and poverty and you would, you would be more of a socialist. You would want bigger government to do bigger handouts and give people more help because you don't actually care about life. You just care about birth. What do you say to that? Well, before I even get to the whole idea there's a major difference between because this, this comes into what's the role of the government. Well, I already know it's not the role of the government to sanction killing anybody, whether they are preborn or an adult. So the word pro-life is, is, is used in the abortion, I won't say, I hate saying debate, it's, you know, um, controversy or mm-hmm. entire topic because the other side is pro-death or pro-murder. Right. We're saying that we're pro-life because we want to save anybody. We don't want any, we don't want the child or anybody to be unjustly killed. Right. That's the issue. Now, after the baby, after the baby is born, we still want justice. In fact, the reason why I'm not a socialist is because I care about people. Right. Right. So, uh, um, you know, I've said this before, but, I grew up without a dad um, and not entirely because of communism or socialism, but the reason why the big reason why my dad isn't there is because of socialism. Mm. 
my dad left my family before I was born, uh, when I was pregnant, because the Ghanaian economy became so bad because of socialist policies that he, he thought in his mind the only thing he could do was to flee the country. Now, that's his sinful choice. Yeah. I said it before, bad policies can create bad parenting. And socialism everywhere destroys families. It mm-hmm. destroys people. It does not help the child. It harms the child. Right. So I am, the whole idea that you need to be, there's the idea of, you know, pro-life from the womb to the tomb and all that. No, no, no. I don't want, for me, when it comes to the, not for me, just the pro-life argument in general, isn't really about what the government should be doing to help the individual. It's that the government should protect the rights of the baby, which is life, right? And of course, in your great, um, you know, the American uh, Declaration of Independence, it is life, liberty, and a pursuit of happiness. The baby, I want the baby and that person as a whole, including the mom, to have the liberty to do anything so long as they're not going to harm that, somebody else's rights. And of mm-hmm. course, you protect the life of anybody, including the mom and the baby. But mm-hmm. um, the idea that you need, to, you need to support socialist policies is an injustice. You don't need to do that. I think people, uh, parents should be free to to um, to to serve their own children and to provide for their own children. It's not the government's job to be doing that. Now the government has a role, but they shouldn't have complete control over mm-hmm. over over the entire economy, over parents' choices. That's not right, and that's not what God calls for. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. I think it's almost like people who ask that are saying. Well, how could you claim to care about lives when you won't adopt our, when you won't adopt the policies that I believe support life? And it's like, because I don't believe those policies support life. Like I simply, like you said, I mean, it, those, that kind of a government always results in um, a loss of rights, a loss of life, a loss of freedoms. Um, loss of those inalienable rights that people have that we believe are God-given, that people have dignity because they're made in the image of God and, sh- and those things should be protected. Those things are not given by the government. They should be protected by the government. That's what the gov- government is there to do, not to imbue you with rights, but to protect the rights with which you are already imbued by, by God. And, and, you know, <laughs> I, I sometimes, whenever I hear those kind of questions, I, I wonder, what would they say to God? Because abortion, of course, as we know, is not new, right? In the, in the you know in ancient times, uh, the you know the the god of Moloch, uh, mm-hmm. people sacrificed their children uh, for the god of Moloch, and God, rightly, um, I don't want to use the word harsh, but God gave some very strong judgment and condemnation mm-hmm. for child sacrifices or really abortion. Yeah. But he never said, you guys didn't, hey, leaders in Israel or nations, you guys didn't provide the, you know, the uh, a system that would have helped the woman to not, you know, get an abortion. And in fact, in ancient Israel, you don't have socialist policies at all. In ancient Israel, the government isn't God. Mm-hmm. So then is God not pro-life? 
right? Because if God is against abortion, which obviously he is, but he's not pro-socialism, then how does that compute? Right. Right. God is, that would mean God's unjust according to their framework. Exactly. And God is not unjust. We know that God is wholly just. So then how does the world, I mean, how, how would you say, if you could, in a nutshell, describe how secular, postmodern, um, Western culture, how do they define justice? Or do they even have a definition? Or is it just like the flavor of the week? You know, well, today justice looks like giving me what I want. And, you know, I'm going to march into your neighborhood and demand that you give me this house because my ancestors were slaves and I never had the chance to own a house. Is that, so today that's justice. Like, is there a, a, a definition that they're operating from? Or is it just so unhinged from absolutes that we have no idea what, you know, that there isn't an operating definition of justice. I think there is today, but I think throughout history, as I said earlier, it's always been favoring one group over another. There's nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. It's always been about that. It's, you know, that's why the Bible is so revolutionary and what it says about justice. When it says like, several times throughout the entire uh, Bible that, do not be partial mm-hmm. to one group over the other. It says that at least 20 times in the Bible concerning justice. And I think that's because throughout, so in the Roman Empire and in some places in the world today, um, or even in the Egyptian Empire, so many just throughout history, especially um, until maybe the last few decades now, especially the last 10, the last 10 years now, the rich have always primarily been favored um, over the over the poor in, in in the legal issues or justice, and I said that's, that's true as, as well happening right now still in Ghana, but right now in the West you have social justice which is favoring the poor over the rich, or it's favoring groups that are con- that are considered marginalized or oppressed over or less privileged over groups that are privileged which is injustice. There's no question about it. That's what the Bible says. Although, unfortunately, very few pastors are willing to admit this. Um, but so right now, the world would define justice essentially as any perception or any disparity of injustice. Right. right. Disparity Although, equals injustice. Yeah. Exactly. Disparity is injustice. Yes. Right now which therefore means that every single nation is oppressive. Mm-hmm. It means that every single nation, because there isn't a single nation in this entire world that doesn't have disparities amongst different groups. In fact, as Thomas Sowell has said so brilliantly, even, even in the same household, you're going to have disparities of income or socioeconomic realities. Mm-hmm. That's just going to happen because we are all individuals. We have different, different characters and different goals and different careers and different weaknesses and strengths and everything else. We're different people. So you're going to have different outcomes. But yeah. the world defines justice as e- essentially right now equality of outcome, mm-hmm. which is why socialism is, has really become so popular over the last few years because equality of outcome can only be accomplished in their mind with the attempt of socialism. But we know, of course, that doesn't happen. Instead, you create a new great uh, disparity between the political elites and everybody else. Yeah. Yep. 
And I think, you know, like you said earlier, what would they, what would they say about God? Um, I was just thinking of back in the garden, you know, when God created Adam and then created Eve from Adam and gave them roles, but gave them distinctly, you know, they were distinct and different and separate. There was disparity even between Adam and Eve. He was given the call, the charge to, you know, rule and have dominion. They were together, but, um, but she was given a distinct role as his helper. Well, that's disparity because there's difference there. And so is God unjust because Adam and Eve had differing roles equal in value, but different in purpose. I mean, if, and if you would argue that, then you have no business being concerned about a Christian ethic for fighting the social justice war, because you're not actually concerned with justice. You are fighting for injustice because God's version of justice includes disparity. It's actually built in. Exactly. I mean, it's crazy. And not just that, here's a shocking uh, reality. Not just the Garden of Eden, even in heaven, in mm-hmm. the New Jerusalem, there are there will be disparities. Yeah. We're all going to receive different rewards, right? All because of the grace of God. Well, that's not fair. You shouldn't get more rubies in your crown than me. <laughs> so can you can you imagine mm-hmm. the most just society that will ever exist in the entire, entire of course, all history? Yeah, New Jerusalem, heaven. There will be disparities there. Wow. Even in perfection. Right. <laughs> there will be disparities. And here the world today is making disparities the highest form of injustice. Yeah. It is, it, it, it is that goes to show how much we've strayed from mm-hmm. biblical thinking here. And, of course, what happens is, if you're distracted by disparities, you're then going to be naturally ignoring what's happening to babies. Yeah. You know, now, of course, I mentioned that there's, there's other things happening in the world today that's just full of injustice. But I mentioned that because every year there is 50 million babies murdered across the entire world. 50 million. But the whole world today isn't marching against that. They are marching over disparities. It's sickening. Mm-hmm. And the, the odd thing is we live in a more, in a, in a, how do I say this? We live in greater parity today than ever before in human history. The gap between the poor and the rich today is a lot less than the gap between the poor and the rich a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. But we are whining more today than ever before. We are the most privileged group. Look, I've I, I I said this, uh, this before. When I came from Ghana to Canada, I lived in the poorest uh, area in, in, in uh, Montreal, where I was living at at the time. But I had no idea. I had no idea that I was living in the poorest uh, area in, mm-hmm. in my city because it was so much more wealthier than it was in Ghana. Mm-hmm. Perspective matters. And we've all lost, we've lost all perspective. We are so privileged today. Like we are tweeting on our iPhones mm-hmm. about how oppressed we are. Exactly. It doesn't mean that there isn't injustice today. Of course there is. Right. But one of my favorite articles, I think is from feed.org. And it talks about how the average person today 
is more well is more rich than Rockefeller. Wow. What they meant by that is we have access. Like if he wanted at the time to listen to the greatest, you know, songs of his time, he had to spend so much money, go to a certain area, maybe in I don't know, Italy somewhere. Just right now, you and I, Spotify, we're good. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's just one example, right? Yeah. Even like, look how many of us have cars today. How many of us live in nice homes? How many of us have you know? We we can actually yeah. Some of some of us don't save, but I don't know. All of us right. can we, save, but right. relatively, like we're we good. Right. The internet, you have like, we are all like very few people do not have access, at least in the West or in Canada and America to the same things that we all live generally with the same privileges. Some have more money than others, of course, but we're all very much blessed. Like um, a very, like say a billionaire, say someone like Jeff Bezos uses probably the same phone that I do. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a small example but we live in a very different world today than we did before. Mm-hmm. But yet, here we are marching over disparities when it's not inherently uh, uh, injustice. And then especially, we live in a much more, we live in greater parity today than mm-hmm. ever before in human history. Yeah, it always makes me scratch my head when, um, you know, the most celebrated voices marching against injustice are quote unquote injustice are those of someone like Jay-Z or Oprah who are, you know, self-made million or billionaires. Some of the richest people on the planet are the ones who have the most weight in the conversation around injustice. And I'm like, aren't you living proof that, that, like you said, not that there's no racism, not that there's no injustice, because you and I don't believe that. We believe there's racism. We believe there's injustice because there's sin. We know we live in a sinful world. Nobody's denying that. But isn't it just kind of ironic? <laughs> Those are the people who are, oh, yes, yes, yes. Give us more truth, Oprah. Like she's just put on a pedestal um, or Jay-Z is put on a pedestal because because he says the thing that the masses want to hear that in, in senses them and enrages their flesh to go, yeah, I want to get mine or I deserve more than what I have. And this isn't fair or um, you have more and that's wrong. You have more than me and and that's unjust. You know, and it's just, I mean, it, it just is almost too, it, it's almost too ridiculous to even present a, a reasonable argument against because it's just so baseless. It's yeah. like the foundation of that thinking is so far from the truth that it's like, I don't even know where to begin sometimes. Like, I don't even know where to begin with this conversation of injustice. Cause I'm like, first of all, I mean, you don't even believe in God, you know, you don't even believe in the God. So you have no basis. You have no structure or framework for justice. So you wouldn't know it when you saw it. You wouldn't even recognize it when you saw it. So. Well, if you don't mind, let me, let me. Yeah. Response from that. Um, When I, I, when I, when I was in Ghana, I got really sick from malaria and uh, I was dying and I remember I had a huge fever and I, I didn't have the strength or the energy to get up to get water. I think there was actually a glass of water within reach of me, but I was so tired, I couldn't even reach it. But I would always dream that I was drinking the water. And I'd wake up so thirsty and I would see the full glass of water next to me. That's that's always left a very strong impression on me. The Bible talks about how a hungry man, um, a hungry man dreams about eating and then a thirsty man 
dreams about drinking water. I say that because when you're poor, naturally you dream about getting, having money. But what do you dream about when you are so rich? What do you dream about when you have everything you could possibly have? Now, the only thing you don't have is poverty, is oppression. Hmm. I think we live in a, in a culture now where we are so privileged, we yearn to be underprivileged. Wow. We are so privileged that we yearn to be oppressed. Hmm. It's a shocking mm-hmm. revelation about our human nature that we have everything and now we're like, we're bored. Yes. Something other than that. Yeah. That's why yeah. you can have Oprah, who's a billionaire, mm-hmm. who looks around in his heavy, in her, in her um, heavy mansion and just all that. Mm-hmm. And what else is there to yearn for? Yeah. Oppression. Because we now live in a culture where if you are the victim because remember what I said, we now favor the poor, the small over the great. If mm-hmm. you can now be a victim or oppressed, you then will receive some weird kind of attention and love. Mm-hmm. And we crave that. We, yeah. crave, God, we crave pity. Yeah, that's so true. That's such a great point. I've never even thought of it that way. But I have heard people talk about how, you know, especially with the younger generation. So I'm a millennial, but, uh, you know, behind me, like Gen Z, how, you know, if it's really true, which I think it is, that Gen Z has been raised without a moral framework, without, you know, largely, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not a Christian, they've not been raised in a Christian culture, in a sense, like this is all postmodern. So they've, they don't have like, they've been raised with an idea of what to live for, what life is about, why they're here, what their purpose is, where they're going, where is this all heading? It's kind of meaningless. And so they're, like you said, looking for something to do. I mean, they're bored. They're, they're um, listless. They have no purpose behind. I mean, not all of them. I know not all of them. So hear me saying, if you're in that generation, like I, I know that you guys are out there. I know millennials are out there too, but by and large, I think that's what we see is people just looking for something to make their mark. Like, how do I put my stamp on history? How do I live a life that is meaningful? Because if I'm not finding it in God and glorifying him and, and worshiping him and building his kingdom, if I'm not doing that, then like, what kingdom am I building? And, it, and you look around and if you're offered a cause, it feels noble to get on board with that. You feel like you know, you are being kind of called up and out to something higher and bigger than yourself. And you are in a way, except it's, it's not, you know, it's not our ultimate purpose to fight for um, equality of outcome. And that's not where we, that's not what God created us to do. And if he had wanted that, he, Jesus would have done it while he was here. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't change the social system. He didn't change the structures. He didn't, renovate everything he didn't call for a cultural revolution he left he died on a cross and left like i mean what kind of failure that that looked like failure to them and that's why so many were so angry at him and wanted him gone because frankly he was just a huge disappointment to them like he was like they were like this is not what we wanted and you are certainly not the guy because if you were you'd be here you know you'd be here renovating you'd be you'd be turning this place upside down 
Exactly. And so, I mean, I just think, I, I think you see that what you're saying. I think we see evidence that all, all over the place with um, young people who are just looking for something to, to believe in. And, and it just goes to show you that God has created us with a God-shaped hole with a, a, an eternity is set in, in the hearts and minds of men, even though we are blinded by sin there's still an awareness. There's still something in us that says there's got to be something more. There's got to be more to life than just, you know, just getting a job and going to work and, you know, buying a house and maybe having some kids like there's got to be something more. And I want, I want what that more is. And so if someone comes along and offers you and says, here's what it looks like. I mean, it's, it's compelling. And so I think that's why we see so many young people getting behind this movement. That's a great, great point. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, I think, yeah, if you're not building, building a kingdom, then you're going to want to, you know, build it elsewhere. Right. You know, on top of all that too, even on a, a little bit outside of the church, we often say the breakdown in the family is the reason why you have a lot of the issues that we have here today, which is true. But I wonder how many of us have considered that we've taught young people to not pursue marriage until they're in their 30s. So then you have people who become adults at 18 and then say you have roughly 12 years of a gap until then they start to think about marriage. Well, what happens then? Because in the past, as soon as you become a man or a woman, okay, that's, you know, now not everyone is called to, to marry or anything like that, but most people, many people do marry. Mm-hmm. Well, Speaking of building your kingdoms, if you're a man and a woman and you're married, you are building something. You are working together. You are, you know, you are, you know, having children and you're just, you know, serving your communities, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a different way than you would if you're, you know, single. Mm-hmm. So if men and women, young men and women aren't pursuing marriage or aren't pursuing families, what, else then will they pursue yeah they can work but where's the but what's 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 mm-hmm. the point? what are they doing where's the passion project where's the side gig what's the side gig <laughs> yeah. and then they get a family mm-hmm. through all these causes yeah. and i think that's why on top of everything you said you also have so many young people just being passionate about these things because they want a family well and and then we see why an organization like black lives matter would care about destroying the nuclear family because of what you just explained. Mm. Because if you can break down the idea that mm. the family is essential to society, that the family has value, if you can destroy that idea, you can destroy a culture. You can destroy um, an entire nation. Mm-hmm. Because that's what that's how that's the framework God has put in place. The family was his design. Mm. So being against the family is not just being against a cultural idea, it's being against God. I've seen Christians say um, who are really active on this topic and in this space that saying the gospel is enough is a cop out. They say, you know, don't say like it's they're angry even when when the gospel is mentioned because they're like you are turning a blind eye to systemic injustice or systemic racism. You're, you are, you are giving it an out by saying the gospel is enough. It's like, it's like they, they're like, they think that you're just kind of ushering everyone through the hard yucky stuff and just going, the gospel is enough. Jesus is enough. God's enough. Um, What would you say to that, that idea? When people say the gospel is enough, 
You mean a gospel is enough to change souls, to change the culture, to change, to save souls. But they're not saying, preaching Christ's incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his return is all that needs to be said. Right. Because that's not what the Bible, that's not all, that's not the only thing about Sorry, I'm sorry, let me repeat that. That's not the only thing the Bible says. Right. When people say the gospel is enough, what they mean is the Bible is enough. And if anyone's going to reject that, they have an issue with God, not me. Yeah. That's what God says, that all scripture is breathed by God and it is perfect in correcting and training everyone for righteousness. The Bible is enough. So the Bible says that live worthy of the gospel. That's what people are really saying. Mm-hmm. That if we believe the gospel, let's live in light of the gospel. Let's live worthy to our calling, which means fighting for justice. My favorite text uh, on justice is God says, abhor, abhor evil, love good, and establish justice. If we hate sin in light of the gospel, if we love good and righteousness in light of the gospel, we will then naturally, in light of the gospel, establish justice for all people, whether white, black, rich, poor, immigrant, citizen, does Christian, unbeliever, doesn't matter. We are called to establish justice, but in light of the gospel being enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, it's that maybe in some places where we say the gospel is enough, I think maybe for me, what one reason I might say that is because I want to disagree with the other uh, offer that's on the table in, in terms of here's what we need to do. And I, you know, my, my, my response feels like I should say the gospel is enough, but really what I want to say is the gospel is the right answer. You know, that's the wrong answer and what God has given us in Christ in terms of a hope for the way out of this hopeless situation that we find ourselves in Mm -hmm. this unjust world, this place where sin is rampant, where darkness um, has been given, you know, um, a certain amount of, um, of power in this world. And, and that this is, you know, the, the temporary, you know, stomping grounds of the devil clearly. I mean, his mark is everywhere. Um, and, and I want to say, no, it's that the, it's not only that it's enough, it's that it's the right answer. It's like, I'm not, I'm not saying it's enough and that's all I'm saying it's enough because it provides the solution, you know? And so it's, it's not a cop out, it's a different and better answer. And so, um, maybe we just need to do a better job of explaining what we mean when we say that, um, so that other believers can understand and be pointed to the truth, um, but ultimately, you know, I, I, I know that this has to be a work of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts and minds. It has to be, it has to be him opening their minds to the truth because um, so many of the lies out there are so crafty and have just been being built upon for hundreds of years and have, it's like they, you know, we're seeing, um, we're seeing hundreds and hundreds of years of the enemy's work kind of coming to fruition, you know, in a lot of ways. And so, uh, we need the power of the Holy spirit. You know, we need, we need God himself to come in and break in and cause revival in in so many of these areas um, to break this down. Do you have any final thoughts on this, this whole topic that we've been covering? Yeah, no, I think 
what you said is so helpful because the gospel is the only answer and the gospel is enough because the issue here is what is our diagnosis and what is our remedy? What is the premise and what's the solution? The world has it that some people are the problem. And because some people are the problem, only some people or something can be the solution. Mm -hmm. Entirely wrong. We are, we are all the problem. I am the problem. You're the problem. Anyone listening, you are the problem. <laughs> but none of us is the answer. Not me, not black people, not white people, not anybody. We are all the problem and no one, no one is a solution except for Jesus Christ. Because he's the only one who isn't part of the problem. He is sinless. And because he is sinless, he alone can be the savior. So the sinless one is the savior. So the gospel is enough in that we can go out there and do our duty as Christians in establishing justice. But we're doing so knowing that although we are attempting to do so, though we should try hard to correct every injustice, we know we can't. Ultimately, we are just, we are just preparing for him. Mm -hmm. Stands preparing the way for him, like John the Baptist. And when he returns, that's when he will establish perfect justice and peace. And we will delight in him. But that justice will also include condemnation to those who refuse to believe that the gospel is enough and that the gospel is only in Jesus Christ. Mm, yeah, man, that's such a great, great way to end. Um, wow. I am so grateful for everything you shared with us. I think that is going to be so helpful to a lot of people and encouraging. Um, I hope they will share it with their friends if they have friends that they're having these hard conversations with, because I know a lot of us are struggling through this on a one-to-one -one level, you know, just with our, with our friends or our family. And how do I talk about this? Um, and I, I know you have, you are too, you've lost, I've heard you say you've lost friendships over this. I mean, I think we all have some collateral damage and, uh, and, you know, no doubt 2020 has been a hard year and it's certainly brought a lot of things to the surface, but this has always been lurking beneath the surface. Uh, I mean, injustice, uh, a misunderstanding of what God has, um, the solutions that God has provided his definitions of justice. This has always been there. And so I hope that a lot of us can see this as an opportunity to um, speak the truth in love mm -hmm. about what God has said and to share the good news with people and to share the good news. Cause uh, you know, if you, if you hear the good news with, with open ears and an open heart, um, what you find is that uh, there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. Mm. That's the good news. Cause like you said, he's going to come and he, he does come with condemnation, but if you're in Christ, that condemnation is not for you. And so we have a better hope. We have an answer for people. Um, and I'm thankful for the way that you are sharing that in all of your work. So where can people connect with you online and find, uh, find more of your work and your writing? Oh. So they can find me at slowtowrite.com. That's my blog, slow to write. It's, you know, the word slow, mm -hmm. uh, and then T-O, write, and writing.com. Uh, they can also find me on social media across all platforms, uh, Instagram, Parler, uh, Facebook, Twitter, as, as a slow to write. Um, 
and then um yeah that's uh that's uh, how they can find me awesome well thank you so much i appreciate it so much and uh yeah, people go find you on there and support you on Patreon. I know you have a Patreon. and um, I forget that, yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you for I'm, mentioning I'm gonna that. I'm going to promote that for you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, they can support me. Um, you know, hey, if I'm going to lose friends, let me gain new friends. Uh, yeah, there you go. Friends that will actually allow you to, to do your work and get paid for it. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, thank you so much, Samuel. I really appreciate it. It's been awesome talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. You guys, thank you for tuning in today. I hope that episode was encouraging to you. I know it was such a refreshing perspective from a brother in Christ to share with us. And I am so thankful for what Samuel shared today. As a reminder, if you want to hear the 10 minutes that we discussed Black Lives Matter and whether Christians should support the organization and even express that sentiment, um, come join us in Patreon, patreon.com slash kindled podcast. And on Friday and four days from now, if you're listening Monday, you will hear that conversation. And when you join us on Patreon, you will get immediate access to all past Firestarters episodes, and you will be sure to get anything in the future that comes uh, to, to that community, to Patreon. So um, don't worry. If there's anything you've missed, you will get access to that, and you can go back and listen to it. Quick reminder to leave a review for Kindled if you want, and yeah, that's it. I will see you guys next week.